Hello, Tony Hines here, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. Thanks for dropping by today. Japan is pumping more than a million metric tons of treated water from the destroyed Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant. The process will apparently take decades to complete. Russia's central bank raises interest rates. The UK trade deal with India appears to be under threat. India is expected to ban sugar exports. Next season, oil prices are falling. China, the world's second largest economy, is losing momentum. And Ford Motors, Toyota and Stellantis are planning to build and sell hundreds of thousands of hybrid cars in the US over the next five years. All in the news this week. Thanks for joining us this week. We've got a fact-filled program. All the news from around the world impacting global supply chains. Let's get started. Well, in Japan, they've started releasing contaminated water from the Fukushima plant. And the Chinese foreign ministry said the disposal of contaminated water in Fukushima is a major nuclear safety issue with cross-border implications and is no private matter for Japan alone. Since the development of nuclear energy, there's been no precedent for man-made discharges of water polluted by nuclear accidents into the ocean, and there's no accepted disposal standard. So China's pretty upset by this, and of course they're refusing to buy any fish that comes out of the ocean around the Japanese coast. South Korea are unhappy too. They say today that their government expects and urges Japan to transparently and responsibly disclose information during the release process. And it's planned to continue apparently for 30 years. Yes, 30 years. So that's a real potential ticking time bomb, isn't it? More than a million metric tons of treated water from the destroyed Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power station began pumping into the ocean on Thursday. The water's distilled after being contaminated from contact with fuel rods in the reactor, which was destroyed in the tsunami back in 2011. The tanks on the site hold about 1.3 million tonnes of radioactive waste water. That's about the size of 500 Olympic swimming pools. The company charged with this, TEPCO, has been filtering contaminated water to remove isotopes leaving only tritium, a radioactive isotope of hydrogen, which is hard to separate. And they say they'll continue to dilute the water until tritium levels fall below regulatory limits before pumping it into the ocean from the coastal site. Water containing tritium is routinely released from nuclear plants around the world, and regulatory authorities say that dealing with the Fukushima water in this way is acceptable. Tritium is considered to be relatively harmless because the radiation is not energetic enough to penetrate human skin. If it goes above the accepted levels, it can cause cancer risk. Japanese fishing unions are not too happy about the situation either. They've been trying to persuade the Fukushima plant not to discharge contaminated water into the ocean around the plant for years. They say it will severely damage the fishing industry. So I'm guessing this one's going to rumble on. One interesting side effect of the Fukushima discharges into the ocean is that it's created a surge in demand for salt in China. And the national salt supplier has asked people not to panic buy. Salt demand has surged. Obviously people are buying salt because they think that It might be contaminated in future, but only 10% of salt is produced from seawater. 
in China. The Russian central bank raised interest rates by 3.5% to 12% this week in response to the ruble falling by more than 30% against the US dollar this year. Tuesday's rate increase did little to halt the slide. A weaker currency adds to inflation by increasing the cost of imported goods. The cost of Russia's special operation in Ukraine appears to be a major cause of inflationary pressure and it's expected to hit 11% this year. The UK trade deal with India appears to be under threat because of visa arrangements for people from India who want to work in the UK. Apparently the EU has already given up trying to negotiate a trade deal, for now because of various difficulties. Of course, the best trade deal that the UK had was with the European Union, until Brexit happened of course. And there's been little good news to reduce the impact of losing that trade deal with the EU. The promised US trade deal at the time of Brexit appears to be further away than ever. And the Australian trade deal that was much heralded also appears to offer more to Australia than to Britain, with UK farmers possibly taking a hit as a result of that one. Recent polls suggest that many people that voted to leave the EU have now changed their minds, given the harsh realities of supply chain frictions, delays of ports, labour shortages, lack of opportunities for UK business in Europe. And this week's stories were breaking about the number of UK citizens living or working in the EU who found life difficult after Brexit. And they're applying for EU passports where they can, or they're actually buying citizenship to make things smoother. There are also attempts to delay further regulatory changes due to Brexit, which will make friction worse in January 2024. So the oven-ready deal that was promised seems to be now well overcooked. The German economy stagnated in the second quarter compared to the previous three months, and this is said to be following a winter recession. Data from the statistics office on Friday showed that there's been zero growth for the three months to July, and the year-on-year adjusted GDP contracted by 0.2% in the second quarter. The quarter-on-quarter economic activity has fallen by 0.4% in the fourth quarter of 2022, and by 0.1% in the first quarter of 23. Two consecutive quarters of contraction, which is the common definition of a recession. Household consumption in Germany showed zero growth in the second quarter, and government spending rose by 0.1%. Capital investment grew modestly, while exports fell 1.1%. The Bundesbank expects economic output to remain largely unchanged in the third quarter. That's according to a monthly report published on Monday this week. A resilient labour market, strong wage increases and declining inflation is expected to boost private consumption, but industrial production will remain weak. And that's due to sluggish foreign demand, according to the Bundesbank report. India is expected to stop exporting sugar in the next season. It's halting shipments for the first time in seven years, and this is because there's been a shortage of rainfall, which has cut the sugarcane yields. It's likely to increase the benchmark prices in New York and London, and they're already trading at multi-year highs. So the expectation is this might trigger further inflation on global food markets. India allowed mills to export just 6.1 million tonnes of sugar during the current season to September the 30th, 
after letting them sell a record 11.1 million tonnes last season. China is the second largest economy in the world, and it's said to be under pressure presently as it's trying to recover from the pandemic and the downturn in the economy. And it's impacting the currency, which is falling as a result. China's financial markets have been suffering losses and heavy outflows, and investors want the government to take more action to address matters which are stalling the economy. As a matter of urgency, they want to see the currency steadied. The currency weakness is one of the key challenges for the Beijing government in its efforts to revive growth, and the concern that any major monetary easing measures would stimulate and inflame the depreciation of the yuan and speed up capital outflows. So they're acting very cautiously at present, but the central bank has asked domestic lenders to reduce outward bond investments, according to Reuters. The directive that was issued this week is to restrict southbound purchases under the Bond Connect scheme, and that's aimed at limiting the supply of the yuan offshore. While the fall in the currency is difficult for exporters from China, for people importing goods from China, it will make prices lower. There's a couple of things happening in China, of course. The property market has crashed, and there's very high youth unemployment. It's around 21%. So they've got these different problems going on in the underlying economy. And this is in addition to a movement of business away from China to other parts of Southeast Asia, as they were experiencing problems with COVID lockdowns. Commentators have noted that uh, the position in China is shifting. There's a transition from the majority of high-skilled to low-skilled jobs. They've got an aging population. And there's a struggle as they try to shift to a consumption-based economy. Nevertheless, China's a country never to be underestimated, and they need to do well for the rest of the world to do well. Hybrid EVs, which mix gasoline with electric power, are not getting removed from the market in the United States in the same way that the United Kingdom is planning to stop new sales by 2035. Ford Motor Corporation, Toyota and Stellantis are planning to build and sell hundreds of thousands of hybrid vehicles over the next five years. Hybrids are pitched as an alternative for retail and commercial customers seeking more sustainable transport, and they're particularly useful when people aren't prepared to make the full leap to electric vehicles. Hybrids seem to be the popular choice for many. It's an easier proposition to sell to customers. And people are becoming more interested in owning hybrids, wanting to do the right thing by the planet, but not making that big leap to EVs because of the high initial cost and concerns about range, lengthy charging times, and of course, a shortage of public charging stations. With a tightening of emission requirements, hybrids provide a cleaner fleet without buyers taking unnecessary risk. It's estimated that the sale of hybrids will triple over the next five years, and they'll account for 24% of US new vehicles in 2028. Sales of pure EVs will claim about 37%, leaving combustion vehicles with a 40% share. Historically, hybrids accounted for less than 10% of US sales, with Toyota's long-standing Prius among the most popular models. 
Japanese automaker Toyota has consistently said hybrids will play a key role in the company's long-range electrification plans. Ford is the latest company with aggressive plans to roll out hybrid cars. Jim Farley, the chief executive, said, We expect the EV market to remain volatile until the winners and losers shake out. Stellantis, too, is following the lead of Toyota and Ford, hedging its offers. GM said it was committed to an all-electric future. Manufacturers are marketing more than 60 hybrids in the United States. Toyota, with its premium Lexus brand, are selling at least 18 different hybrid models, which keeps the Japanese automaker at the top of the pack. Hyundai and Kia offer seven hybrid models, with Ford and Lincoln six. Stellantis offer just three. And GM's sole entry is due out later this year, the Chevrolet Corvette sports car. The difficulty for many at the moment is that the customers want hybrids, but the retailers have got zero stock. The BRIC economies, Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, have been meeting in Johannesburg. And they're trying to establish their own international currency that will compete with the dollar. The BRIC members represent 40% of the world's population and they're expected to discuss bringing new countries in. Nevertheless, the United States has said it doesn't see the bloc turning into a geopolitical rival. There are some considerable differences between each of those nation-states that make up BRIC. And of course, President Putin appeared on a video link talking about the impact of sanctions against Russia, trying to underplay and downplay those, and saying that they're the five most economically powerful countries in the world, the BRICS countries. BRICS consists of Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa. Vladimir Putin can't attend BRIC, of course, because he's on the international criminal list and he's fearful he could be arrested if he attends. Now, it was announced on Thursday that the BRICS alliance, which presently consists of Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, is set to invite Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates to join. South Africa's President Ramaphosa said in a speech published on the X social media platform, previously known as Twitter, that they wanted to extend membership invitations. They plan to extend membership to take effect from the 1st of January 2024. A combined 23 countries have formally applied for BRICS membership, including the six that Ramaphosa said were invited in this statement. Other African players, such as Nigeria and Ghana, have expressed informal interest. Brazil's De Silva said on Thursday that the BRICS group continues to study the possibility of a block currency to increase the option for different forms of payment, reducing vulnerabilities, and by that they mean to the US dollar, and the control that the World Bank, the IMF, the WTO exercise. So it'll be interesting to see how this develops, if at all. Now, the supply chain for housing is an interesting market because when it comes to house builders, they have many upfront costs. So there's a lot of cash going out as they employ labour, gather materials and, of course, start the build. And then they build up inventories, inventories of houses in this case. And those houses lie idle until they're sold. And only then do the builders begin to get their money back in the form of income from the sales. And that's when they make their profit. But of course, if the housing market stalls, as it has done, 
because people can't afford to buy them, with mortgage rates going up, then house builders are left with stock. And that, of course, puts pressure on those builders to either discount those houses or to hold on to them and try to fund them until they can sell them. Inventory costs money in any business, and it's the same in house building. And also, when people have got loans that are affordable, they quite often don't want to move, so that stops movement in the marketplace. And that's happening in the United States at the moment because people don't want to come out of deals that they're in, which are good. And it's the same in the UK. If you're in a mortgage agreement where it's reasonably priced, it's lower than what you could get if you went back into the market, then you certainly don't want to change that arrangement and put your cost up because of a purchase of a new house. You'll bide your time. You'll wait. So unless incentives are there for people to buy, that's unlikely to change. So this is causing a a blockage in the supply chain. And of course, at one time, maybe social housing or landlords would have bought the properties to rent to people and they'd have made the purchase. That's not happening either. Landlords are under pressure because of the tax regimes that have changed in the past few years, putting their costs up and of course, social housing the same. So the supply chain stuck. It was reported this week that P&O's announced plans to close its Liverpool to Dublin ferry route, and that's because of the unavailability of a berth in Liverpool. The company said without agreement with the port owner to provide a berth in Liverpool, it's impossible for P&O ferries to continue on that route. Extensive negotiations with the owner of the Liverpool site to extend the lease of the port or find an alternative site for the Liverpool-Dublin service to operate have been unsuccessful. It will continue to search for options. The UK government has been stepping back on its plans for net zero. But this week, the Department Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, DEFRA, is is looking at a total or partial ban on the use of plastics, microplastics in particular. Many of the recent green policies have been watered down or delayed, one might think there's an election coming soon. And they'd be right, of course, because that's why things are getting pushed back. The government's been looking at the economic cost of these green policies amid the cost of living crisis. The EU plans to ban microplastics, recycled tyres were touted to be banned, and there are other things which they're trying to cut the impact of pollution from plastic. A ban or partial ban on microplastics wouldn't solve all the problems posed by plastic, but it's a step in the right direction. Microplastics enter rivers and the ocean, of course, and cause huge problems, not just for man, but for animals in the ecosystem broader environment. 90% of cosmetic products contain microplastics, and 145,000 tonnes of microplastics are used in the European Union each year. There are no comparable statistics for the United Kingdom. Earlier in the week, there had been some concerns over a strike in Australia that would impact liquefied natural gas supplies. But that's been averted. That strike's been settled and gas prices have fallen. The walkout at the Woodside Energy Northwest Shelf plant in Australia had threatened to disrupt global LNG supplies and would drive up gas 
prices sharply if it went ahead. The benchmark EU and UK gas prices are down by almost a third since their peak on Tuesday as a result of the settlement. So, good news for gas buyers. The UK cap price is to be announced on Friday this week and it's likely to fall to about £1,926 according to analysts. Despite this, there are still rising numbers of people seeking help for energy bills in the United Kingdom as a result of the much higher prices for energy over the past year. The administrators of Wilco have said that jobs will go and stores will close because it's failed to find a buyer for the whole business. PwC said parts of the group could still be bought. Wilco had announced earlier this month that it was going into administration and it put 12,500 jobs and 400 stores at risk. PwC was given the task of administrator, but in a statement, PwC said, while discussions continue with those interested in buying parts of the business, it's clear that the nature of the interest is not focused on the whole group. Sadly, it's therefore likely that there will be redundancies and store closures in the future, and it has today been necessary to update employee representatives. It's a great shame, really, because Wilco was a much-loved store by many on the high street. The GMB union has now accepted that there'll be significant job losses, and they want to make sure that the members employed by the company receive every penny that they're entitled to. Despite criticisms of the company and commentators coming out and saying it was to be expected, I'm not sure necessarily it was. And although they were a company struggling, there still seemed to be much footfall around the stores, certainly the stores I visited, and a lot of interest in products. But the problem becomes one of supply. When you can't get the goods into the store that people demand and you can't secure those supplies and you have to use more of your cash to secure supplies rather than credit, you get squeezed in every direction. And so once difficulties become public, it's much harder for any business to find their way out of the cash draining activities that they now have. So I think it's a great shame. I think there have been some strategic errors about how many stores to open, the size of those stores and the locations of those stores. But I most certainly think that Wilco had a place in the market, if only it had been managed just a bit better. Just as we're going to press this week, Ofgem, which is the regulatory body in the United Kingdom for energy prices, has just set the energy price cap at £1,923 for the next three months. These price caps are just set now for three months, which shows you how volatile the energy markets actually are. The annual energy bill for a typical household is £2,074. And this is still hundreds of pounds higher than it was in the winter of 2021, when the average annual bill was £1,277. So although it's good news that the price cap has come down, it's still much higher than it was in 2021. So energy price inflation still outstrips everything. And it's still more than 50% higher than it was two years ago. And this is mainly because of the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, which forced energy prices upwards. 
but let's dwell on the good news for now. This week we're also reminded by the US Center for Disease Control and Prevention that COVID hasn't gone away. The new BA 2.86 lineage of coronavirus is said to be more capable than older variants in causing infection in people who've previously had COVID-19 or who have received vaccines. Crude oil prices are set to fall between 1.5% to 2.5% for the week. It's the second consecutive week in which oil prices have fallen. Brent crude still around $83 and West Texas around $79 a barrel. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off and I'll see you next time. Bye for now. listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, written, presented and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains. Now we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.